entering the Freedom Hut. Impeachment hearings day three are upon us. Most of it's boring, but there were some worthwhile parts we'll dive into together. Plus the revenge of the interagency consensus. Did the DNC try to get dirt from Ukraine? Chick-fil-A bends the knee and is Fartgate now a thing? That and more coming up. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Another day, another impeachment inquiry. The Inquisition continues on. Oh, my. It is uh, going to be the case, it seems, that Adam Schiff will tell us the same story, more or less, every day now. He'll tell us the same thing day in and day out, as we are then, I suppose, going to just cave and say anything. We'll do anything. Just please stop this serious tone about the threat to our democracy from Trump's phone call to Zelensky that didn't change anything. No investigation. Ukrainians got the money for the aid and the weapons that Trump would give them that Obama wouldn't. But here we are going through this nonsense yet again. Uh, I would note that there was a lot of what we've seen before. Today you had uh, witnesses, including Pence, a- Vice President Pence's aide, assigned to the State Department, Jennifer Williams, and also Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, hero of the hashtag resistance right now. Oh, isn't that a surprise to exactly nobody? But he is out there giving a lot of his opinions. She's giving her opinions a little bit. She seems like she is not someone who wanted to be caught up in this, but is going to answer questions. He definitely, Vinman wants to be there. He's part of this thing. He got this running. He got this in motion. So we already know what we're dealing with here, which is also why he's very, he's very, uh, very uh, touchy about making sure that, for example, he is always referred to as Lieutenant Colonel Vinman. And even if uh, inadvertently, for example, Devin Nunes just refers to him as Mr. Vinman, he, he must correct him right away. Also showing up in full dress uniform for his testimony. There's a lot of theatrics around Mr. Vindman right now. And I would just remind you that many of the same journos and Democrat members of Congress who will try to use Vindman's service in the military as a shield for for many criticism for what he is trying to do now, which has nothing to do with his military service. He was at the National Security Council, a body comprised of advisors to the president, mostly civilians. It's not that's not his military service. He's there as an advisory, a member of an advisory committee to the president. And in that capacity, he absolutely can be criticized. But many of the Democrats and the members of Congress who want you to feel that Vindman is beyond criticism. How how dare you critique his motives or motivations? Did they feel that way about the ambush by hashtag resistance Obama voting deep staters? like Sally Yates, setting up General Flynn and then trying to get him not just fired, which they did, and ruined, which they did, but sent to prison, which they are still rooting for. 
So when is military service a shield against all criticism? Oh, when it's a Democrat trying to take down the president. But if it's somebody else, if it's somebody who's in Trump's good graces, somebody who is trying to help implement the Trump agenda, then military service is no shield whatsoever. So I'm just glad we, we established the double standards right up front. Let's let's be very clear about those double standards. And also a, a well, I'll get into that in a moment. The backstory that we keep getting from these different uh, individuals, uh, Vinman, for example, even went off and talked about how proud he was of his dad and leaving the Soviet Union. And that's all fine. I just don't care. It doesn't matter. But you'll notice that this is a recurring theme. Look at how honorable and decent and wonderful these public servants are. Public servants who have made it quite clear they objected to President Trump's decision-making on Ukraine. They didn't like that, for example, as Vindman said, he didn't use the talking points that he was supposed to. Oh, how dare you not use the talking points on the phone call that a bunch of... I used to prepare talking points at the CIA for... You know, we, we would look at talking points for different senior officials. I mean, this is not a this is not an unusual activity. And guess what? Plenty of times, you know, the CIA director, you write him talking points. He's like, meh, thanks. Who cares? Doesn't really matter. It's there for the benefit of the decision maker, for the person who is actually in the exchange, in the fray, trying to accomplish a goal. You're just there in an advisory role. But the backstory of Inman, very important. Uh, the backstory of these other officials that have come forward. The ones who are clearly trying to advance the narrative of inappropriate behavior that the president engaged in. Now, isn't that interesting? Inappropriate is a very subjective way to talk about this, isn't it? I mean, I thought it was inappropriate for President Obama, for example, to, in a desperate attempt to salvage some foreign policy legacy for himself, for his administration, and therefore for the handoff to Hillary Clinton to run the Democratic Party's foreign policy going forward. I thought it was wildly inappropriate for Obama to send pallets of cash, actual pallets of cash, to the terrorist regime in Tehran, all in an effort to try to curry favor with them to get an Iran nuclear deal done that was all about legacy for Obama, and as we know, didn't even last into the Trump administration. I, I, I thought that was inappropriate. I'm not saying Obama couldn't do it, although maybe he should have gotten the Senate to ratify it as a treaty so that the next president couldn't just say, see you later. Uh, but I, I, th- I still think it's inappropriate. I think a lot of things are inappropriate. I don't care what a an NSC detailee uh, thinks about the president's conduct. I just don't care. I don't have to care. I don't care. Uh, Especially given that, uh, why doesn't someone ask Vindman, maybe they will later on in his testimony, but why doesn't someone point out that there's no credit being given by these deep state elements to Trump for doing what Obama would not do and what was so necessary, uh, sending the Javelin missiles, which was a major, it, it is a provocation to the Russian government, but one that if you want to help the Ukrainians, you're going to have to do if you're serious about it. But the backstory about uh, Vinman, that we have to hear. We have to be told that he also was advising Zelensky at one point about how to interact with our government and the Trump administration and perhaps to even ignore some aspects of the Trump administration's requests. Is that not a bit of a problem for people? Which 
team are you playing for when you're doing that? You don't advise a foreign government about how to do an end run on your own government that you work for's request from a spirit that that's you know you don't tell a foreign government hey nullify whatever the commander in chief is is asking of you don't worry about that that came across in testimony today i wonder how much focus the media will put on that but my favorite moment i mean this is the best thing that has happened so far in all this testimony my favorite moment came when devin nunes is asking for a very important information about the chain of transmission of information from Vinman to anybody else who was involved in this. Please begin that, Producer Mark. Uh, what, uh, as you know, the intelligence community has 17 different agencies. Uh, what agency was this individual from? If I could interject here, we don't want to use these it's proceedings. Our, it's our time, I know, Mr. Chair. But we need to protect the whistleblower. Um, uh, if please stop, I want to make sure that uh, there's no effort to out the whistleblower uh, through the use of these proceedings. Um, if the witness has a good faith belief that this may reveal the identity of the whistleblower, uh, that is not the purpose that we are here for, and I want to advise uh, the witness accordingly. Mr. Vinman, you testified in your deposition that you did not know the whistleblower. Uh, rank member, it's uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vimman, please. Ooh, clap back at Devin Nunes. How dare you? I mean, he's obviously not trying to be disrespectful. I understand he's entitled to have his rank said, but, you know, just maybe maybe slow your roll a little bit. You're speaking to, uh, you're speaking to Congress. They understand what they're dealing with here. Uh, a few problems with this. Adam Schiff keeps saying that the whistleblower has a statutory right to anonymity. That is a lie. That is not true. The whistleblower, and we could all read the statute, the whistleblower at the discretion of the inspector general of the intelligence community can remain anonymous unless the inspector general decides that it's probably going to come out anyway or the inspector general decides to pass it along to the Department of Justice because it could be involved in a criminal prosecution. Someone explained this to me. If what the president did is so terrible, then shouldn't it be referred to the Department of Justice for possible prosecution? Oh, they won't do that because, of course, the attorney general was appointed by this president. But they don't get to make that determination politically. They should make it based on what the facts of the case may be. The whistleblower is not entitled to ironclad anonymity. That's just that's just not accurate. They keep pretending that that's the story. People are repeating this and saying this just not true. Plus, we've all already heard this name. We all we've all been told by reputable insofar as they go media outlets who this guy is. So now we are to sit around and say we don't know. This is Soviet style suppression of information in the public domain because people are running a scam because Schiff is running a massive scam. But it gets so that's one part of this, but it gets a bit worse. There's a special right now that Adam Schiff has created for someone to just say that they're not going to answer a question. They're under oath in front of Congress, not going to answer a question. Not, they're not pleading the fifth. They're not claiming that there is a, an exemption for classified information. They're not going to answer the question because maybe sort of kind of it could lead to some people understanding who the whistleblower is. That's a new one. That gives the witness, I would note, a lot of discretion. 
well, can you tell us what you had for breakfast last week? No, because got to protect the whistleblower's identity. How are you going to challenge him on that? Subjective judgment of the witness now. Answer what he wants. Don't answer what he wants is fine. This is why Schiff is disgusting, and this is a farce, but we have to go through this farce together. But it gets better. Continue on with the questioning from Congressman Nunes, please. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vinman, you testified in the deposition that you did not know who the whistleblower was. I do not know who the whistleblower is. is How is it possible for you to name these people and then out the whistleblower? Per the advice of my counsel, I've been advised not to answer specific questions about members of the intelligence community. This is, are you aware that this is the intelligence committee that's conducting an impeachment hearing? Of course I am. Wouldn't the appropriate place for you to come to to testify would be the intelligence committee about someone within the intelligence community? Ranking member, per the advice of my counsel and the instructions from the chairman, I've been advised not to provide any specifics on who I've spoken to with inside the intelligence community. What I can offer is that these were properly cleared individuals or was a properly cleared individual with a need to know. Well, this is, uh, I mean, you can really, you can plead the fifth, but you're here to answer questions and you're here under subpoena. Uh, So you can either answer the question or you can plead the fifth. And then Adam Schiff jumps in and says, no, no, there's a special Schiff rule where you don't plead the fifth or, which, by the way, the reason they don't want that is because of the optics of it. Why are you pleading the fifth about who you talk to with regard to official government business when you're discussing with the House Intelligence Committee? What, why? Well, what is what is the justification for that exactly? You're worried about self-incrimination. You didn't do anything wrong. So why would you plead the fifth? There is no reason to plead the fifth. There's also no reason for him if he is telling the truth that Vinman does not know the whistleblower, then there is no basis for him to withhold information about who he spoke to because he's going to say, well, theoretically, that could be the whistleblower. Here's reality. We all know that he is the one who talked to the whistleblower. We just have to get the proof. (laughs) We just have to get it 100% because otherwise the shady Democrats will lie about it. So what is the likeliest scenario here? The likely scenario is that Vinman told Charmella about the call and then these guys, you know, worked together and cooked up a whole scheme. But then he's like, well, I don't know if I'm going to be the one that raises the complaint. Let's give you plausible deniability about whether or not I'm the one who's bringing this complaint as the whistleblower. That's possible. Otherwise, why is he not discussing who he told uh, about the call? I mean, he claims that it was a, a, a... person with a need to know Mm-mm. He, he's just he's just making a subjective determination there why would somebody not on that phone call in the intelligence community have a need to know about a presidential action the president's conduct is not reviewable under whistleblower statutes by subordinate employees inside the federal bureaucracy so how could anyone have a need to know about that my friends you see exactly what this is The Democrats are just twisting and contorting the law and regulations in bad faith in order to keep this 
narrative alive as long as possible, that there was just a honorable public servant who couldn't stand the inappropriateness of a presidential phone call with another head of state that led to no action and no consequence whatsoever. But they've got to just keep this going in the media today. You're going to CNN. Oh, my gosh. Those whistleblowers were so, I mean, the rather witnesses were so believable. The best of this country on display today against evil fascist Donald Trump. Worse than Hitler, Donald Trump. We know exactly where this is going. It's appalling, sometimes even a little bit amusing because it's so absurd, but we're going to be subjected to this continuously. Um, And if you thought that today was boring, just wait till they bring out the next round of witnesses. About two weeks after that July 10th meeting, President Trump and President Zelensky had their second call, the now infamous July 25th call. Uh, Colonel Vindman, what was your real-time reaction to hearing that call? Without hesitation, I knew that I had to report this to the White House counsel. I had concerns, and uh, it was my duty to report my concerns to the proper uh, proper pe- people in the chain of command. And, and what was your concern? It was inappropriate... It was improper for the president to request and to demand an investigation into a political opponent, opponent, especially a foreign power where there's at best dubious belief that this would be a, a completely impartial investigation and that this would have significant implications if it became... Uh, public knowledge, and it would be perceived as a partisan play. It would undermine our Ukraine policy, and it would undermine our national security. Those are all opinions that have nothing to do with breaking any law, folks. All right, so we just heard from uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vinman a second ago there, and I, I was just getting into how how absurd this whole thing is. He's talking about how the president's phone call was was improper. Okay, S- says him, says you, Vinman. I, I sit here and I keep saying this. What is improper about the president at, when, when, when corruption is a major issue, a consensus, interagency consensus issue for foreign policy in Ukraine? What is improper about asking your counterpart as the president of the United States to look into corruption, including and they keep saying this, this debunked conspiracy theory about the about Ukraine interfering in the election and the debunked conspiracy theories of the of the right, I have to wonder, was was uh, the right wing somehow able to take over Politico? Because here's the story that they published in 2017. Ukrainian efforts to sabotage Trump backfire. Kiev officials are scrambling to make amends with the president-elect after quietly working to boost Clinton. Oh, Wait, but I thought it was a debunked conspiracy. This, this this hasn't been retracted. No one said this is false. But this is Politico, a favorite left-wing website and magazine on politics. I'm I'm confused. The, if we had real journalists, there are some, but overwhelmingly we don't. If we had a real journalism profession in this country, we would have answers to the question already. Did Democrat operatives, Alexandra Chalupa's name keeps coming up, there are others as well, did Democrat operatives try to get information about Paul Manafort, 
than the Trump campaign chairman from the Ukrainians to use as dirt on him. We need a hard and fast answer to that question. The libs don't want us to have one because here's the problem. As much as they will try to do the usual double standard dance of, oh, but Manafort's so bad and he went to prison. Yeah, but guess what, folks? That would be foreign interference in the election, wouldn't it? And in fact, it would be the party in power using foreign relations as a tool of partisan politics against a challenging, uh, a challenger presidential campaign. A little more from this political piece. Since I, I'm feeling frisky today, let's do it. Donald Trump wasn't the only presidential candidate whose campaign was boosted by officials of a former Soviet bloc country. Uh, taking a shot there on Russia stuff. Ukrainian government officials tried to help Hillary Clinton and undermine Trump by publicly questioning his fitness for office. They also disseminated documents implicating a top Trump aide in corruption and suggested they were investigating the matter only to back away after the election. And they helped Clinton's allies research damaging information on Trump and his advisors, a Politico investigation found. End quote. Is that a who's who's responsible in conservative circles for that conspiracy? Is that really Giuliani's fault? The Politico reported this in 2017. Is it John Solomon's fault that Politico, actually a competitor of the Hill, where John was publishing his stories and where I used to work, is it? I'm just wondering, did they make that happen or oh, have you seen any effort whatsoever to follow up on this to get more information? Why don't we have people under oath testifying about this? Because here's the, for me at least, even more interesting component. The story here says that Ukrainian officials, in an effort to curry favor with Hillary Clinton, keep in mind, everybody thought Hillary was going to win. So if you're a foreign government that's used to a whole lot of corruption like Ukraine is, and you know that the incoming administration in 2016 into 2017 would be in a position to really help or really hurt you, would it perhaps be a smart play if you thought, because remember what the consensus was, you know, 90, 97% to 3% or whatever the New York Times had on Election Day. If you were 97% sure in your mind that Hillary Clinton was going to be the next president of the United States and you needed the good graces of Hillary Clinton in order to fend off the Russians, wouldn't you perhaps be willing to buy some goodwill, give a little information on a admittedly sketchy fellow like Paul Manafort? Hmm. Now, I also will point out that I think that the standard the Democrats have set up of you can't have information from a foreigner, which they don't abide by in any sense. Christopher Steele is a foreigner. The dossier was based on foreign sources. So, I mean, they're total frauds on that to begin with. But I'm somebody who believes that if information is relevant to a presidential campaign, information is relevant to a presidential campaign. I, I think that this new, well, you know, if, if a British tabloid newspaper were to break a major story about a presidential candidate, are we supposed to say, oh, can't see it, foreign source? It's idiocy. This is, not a, this is not a standard that you could really apply, but the liberals have convinced themselves this is a real standard. But if you're the Ukrainian government, wouldn't you, or some people within the Ukrainian government, wouldn't you think, hey, let's, let's help seal the, deal here for, seal the deal here for Hillary and maybe pass along information that looks bad for Trump. 
Why do the Democrats so desperately not want confirmation of this? Because it would blow an enormous hole in their whole scam. And the scam is to pretend that only Republicans do this sort of thing. The scam is to pretend that they would never leverage foreign sources of information in a presidential campaign. Oh, my God. Foreign interference in our election. Oh, no. The political story continues. Quote, a Ukrainian-American operative who was consulting for the Democratic National Committee met with top officials in the Ukrainian embassy in Washington in an effort to expose ties between Trump, top campaign aide Paul Manafort, and Russia, according to people with direct knowledge of the situation. The Ukrainian efforts had an impact in the race, helping to force Manafort's resignation and advancing the narrative that Trump's campaign was deeply connected to Ukraine's foe to the East, Russia. My friends, this is part of the... This is Politico, which is a major site, left wing, but a major site, telling the American public in 2017 that Democrat collusion with Ukrainian sources was part of the the genesis of the whole Russia collusion narrative. What, where, why do we believe that this is not true, or what what reason do we have to believe? That? And keep in mind, all of the senior Ukraine policy people at the time. Could people like Vinmin and uh, the various ambassadors who have come forward, not Sondland because they hate him because he's kind of pro-Trump, he's a Trump appointee, but the other ambassadors that came forward last week, the guy with the big bow tie, uh, I think it was Kent was uh, his, his ambassador, Kent. Uh, they could theoretically be implicated in this too. They're the ones saying, oh my gosh, Trump asked for an investigation of Ukraine. It's the most horrible thing ever. But... Was it at least feasible? Is is it plausible that they would have at least been aware of this effort that makes perfect sense and no one yet has been able to find a reason why it's not true to dig up dirt on Manafort, who was operating in Ukraine? All these things line up. None of this sounds like it's crazy, like it doesn't make sense. And it's been reported on and no one's been able to prove otherwise. But doesn't it seem like Perhaps some of those senior Obama era Ukraine policy officials, the interagency consensus, as it was at the time. Maybe some of them knew that there were Ukrainian officials and some Democrat operatives stomping around trying to find dirt on Trump. What would happen if we found out now that some of the very same people who are claiming it was a horrible crime against humanity or whatever they're saying. It's not even a crime. It's uh, inappropriate, improper for the president to ask for an investigation of exactly what Politico is talking about here, which is the origins of the Russia collusion lie, which the Democrats ran with for over two years, the origins of it as it pertains to Ukraine, and also whether there was corruption going on in Ukraine that involved the Biden family. There was a whole bunch of stuff that the, that the president mentioned in that phone call. What would we think of these brave, selfless, nonpartisan public servants if it turned out that when information was coming from the Ukrainians, it was that was bad for Trump? That's fine. It's just when Trump wants information from his Ukrainian counterpart that could be theoretically bad for a Democrat, unacceptable can't have that and now let's also put our our thinking caps on for a moment here uh this report is in politico is all about 
whether there were Ukrainian or, or Ukrainian government officials trying to give damaging information on Manafort to Democrats, pro, uh, Hillary people, Obama people, in order to take down the Trump administration. Do, do we believe then that it is, is it feasible? I can't prove this. Is it feasible that those individuals weren't, meaning the Democrats who would have been in receipt of this information on Manafort and perhaps other Russia-Trump connection conspiracies, uh, that they wouldn't have been requesting, actively seeking that information? Because my friends, there what we would have is Democrats actively seeking foreign interference in the very election that they claim was stolen because of foreign interference in the election. All of their credibility, all of this stuff would just come crashing down around them. The impeachment proceeding would have to come to a screeching halt, or at least for anybody with an IQ over 10, they'd realize it should come to a screeching halt. Uh, But here we are, pretending like we don't have this information and hearing from all of these different so-called witnesses who have an axe to grind against the president, who are sharing their thoughts and feelings about something. And I I simply just don't care what their thoughts and feelings are with any of this. Nor does the law, uh, nor should a Congress that took its job and its powers with any seriousness, but the Democrats in this Congress are so desperate because the president is doing so well on what matters that they feel they have to throw some wrench into the gears. They, They have to try some desperate ploy to shift the narrative, to damage this president politically, because otherwise he's going to cruise to reelection and they know it. That's what all of this is really about today. Don't lose sight of that for one second. You've described this as a demand, this favor that the president asked. Um, What is it about the relationship between the president of the United States and the president of Ukraine that leads you to conclude that when the president of the United States asks a favor like this, it's really a demand? Chairman, uh, the culture I come from, the the military culture, um, when a senior asks you to do something, even if it's polite and pleasant, it's it's not uh, it's not to be taken as a request. It's be it's to be taken as an order. Uh, in this case, the power disparity between the two leaders. Uh, my impression is that in order to get the White House meeting, uh, President Zelensky would have to deliver these investigations. Does uh, Vinman think he's in sociology class here? Is he all of a sudden a uh, 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 you know, a gender studies professor waxing philosophical on, on power disparity. What the heck is this? Well, I come from military culture. Okay, that's great. We understand. You've made that very clear, Vinman. We, we get it. Uh, Zelensky doesn't come from the United States or military culture and is certainly not a subordinate officer to President Trump. So if you're going to play the whole, you know, did you order the code red, meaning Trump orders Zelensky to do the code red here, uh, there has to be a chain of command. There is no chain of command. Zelensky could very easily have come back a day or two later and said, you know what, I asked my guys, we already looked at that. There's just nothing to see there. I mean, and that's that. You know, there are all these extra legal rights that the libs are creating in this. It's so much smokescreen, and you have people like Schiff who are just the most dishonest human beings you could find anywhere. 
And they keep creating these, like the right to anonymity for the whistleblower. That is not a statutory right, but they're, they're pretending that it is. And the media is going along with it. No efforts in the media right now to find out who the whistleblower is. You might ask, Buck, why were there some initial efforts? Because remember, Schiff said that the whistleblower had to testify. So they were going to do the whole thing that they always do, where they construct this narrative of the selfless, heroic public servant with no politics whatsoever. What they've done with Vinman and Kent and the other ambassadors that nobody remembers from last week. Yovanovitch, just because I know how to say her name. Oh, the heroic public servants. Okay. They were going to do that for the whistleblower, but then they realized, uh-oh, whistleblower's got some political baggage here. Even the inspector general noted that there was the belief or there was reason to believe that he had political bias. Well, if it's clear this is all just a political hit job from inside the bureaucracy because there are a lot of feckless federal bureaucrats who hate Trump, everything he stands for will do anything to stop him. That's nothing new. Doesn't that undermine the whole case? This is about the sanctity of our democracy and undermining our national security for personal benefit and all these other gaseous phrases we hear from Democrats. You don't give a crap about any of this. Well, I leave that to your I leave that to your analytic capabilities, my friends. I think we all know the answer here. Uh, and then you had uh, Gen- Jennifer Williams. Uh, here's what she had to say. Play 24. On July 25th, along with several of my colleagues, I listened to a call between President Trump and President Zelensky, the content of which has since been publicly reported. Prior to July 25th, I had participated in roughly a dozen other presidential phone calls. During my closed-door deposition, members of the committee asked about my personal views and whether I had any concerns about the July 25th call. As I testified then, I found the July 25th phone call unusual because, in contrast to other presidential calls I had observed, it involved discussion of what appeared to be a domestic political matter. After the July 25th call, I provided an update in the Vice President's daily briefing book indicating that President Trump had a call that day with President Zelensky. A hard copy of the memorandum transcribing the call was also included in the book. I do not know whether the Vice President reviewed my update or the transcript. I did not discuss the July 25th call with the Vice President or any of my colleagues in the office of the Vice President or the NSC. A little unusual. That's what this, this woman, I don't think she's hashtag resistance, by the way. Which is why she's just like, yeah, this is what I heard. She's like a little unusual. Okay. You're going to impeach the president because he had a phone call that was a little unusual and nothing happened? Think about this, folks. It's crazy. So much depends on getting this right. Because if there are four more years of this president, we will not recognize our United States of America. We must win. Now, we already know Donald Trump and his allies will do anything they can to hold on to power, but their playbook is not going to work on me. We all know climate change is an existential threat to us all. The first thing I'll do as president is rejoin the Paris Climate Accord, which I helped put together. Bring all, almost 200 nations, to Washington, D.C. to make them keep the commitment to, in fact, up the ante on climate change. And... And get to zero, net zero emissions by 2050. And by 2035, make sure that 50% of that is already done. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Beating Donald Trump's not going to be easy. The first thing the next president is going to have to deal with is inheriting a divided nation, a world in disarray. You know, we need a leader who on day one has the proven ability to unite this country, to bring people together. That's what I've done my whole career. Existential threat after existential threat from the Democrats. Isn't it astonishing? Climate change is an existential threat. Trump is an existential threat. Basically, vote for Democrats or we're all going to die is the DNC's mantra. Vote for Democrats or the world is going to end. Not an exaggeration. This is not hyperbole. This is what they are offering you. Unless you vote against Trump, everybody's going to die. I don't find that unifying. Call me strange. I don't find that compelling. Uh, I don't find it honest or helpful. Um, I find it insane. But here I am. I'm the crazy one. I'm in New York City. I think 90% of Manhattan, the island I'm currently on, voted for Hillary Clinton in the last election. I guess 9 out of 10 people here think that I'm the crazy one. What does that say? Uh, Climate change is an existential threat. We will not recognize the United States, Mayor Pete says. He's an existential threat, too. This country will no longer be America if President Trump wins. Uh, Maybe they should just calm down. Maybe it's time for the Democrats to just take a step back, take a deep breath, and try not to be so utterly crazy. Um, But that brings me to what I start to think is a real threat to this country, at least a threat to the unity of this country, to our future as a political entity where... We can solve disputes through the process uh, about what should be happening in this country, about what government is doing and what rights people have to solve it through good faith and understand that ultimately, even if we don't get everything we want, this country is the richest, freest, most prosperous political entity ever to have existed in the history of the world. And therefore, uh, we can handle some disputes, including disputes that don't end up going our way. If that changes then it's not clear to me that we will be able to recognize our country all that much longer. But this scorched earth politics, uh, what exactly the Attorney General Barr was talking about over the weekend, this the ends justify the means, stop at nothing. You want to do good, and therefore the people who oppose what you're trying to do must be bad. That mentality has completely overtaken the left and the Democratic Party and the socialists therein. And it's getting more and more troubling. Uh, They no longer are happy even to have legal victories or cultural victories. They expect legal victory in the culture war. They expect cultural victory in the same. And then they want to go around and force people to bend the knee. And if they won't do that, then they plan to just throw them on the ground and bayonet the survivors, so to speak. That's where we are now, my friends. That's what we face from the opposition. And yet another example of this is Chick-fil-A. Now, I am, because of my uh, genetic uh, issue with celiac disease, not somebody who can speak very well about how good Chick-fil-A is because I can basically eat nothing. I can have their waffle fries, which are just okay. I'm just going to say it. 
As French fries go, they're just... Producer Mark, you like the waffle fries? That's the only thing... Of course I do. I like everything about Chick-fil-A. I mean, people tell me that the chicken sandwiches are like... The, Amazing. They're like addictive. And they're, the spicy chicken sandwiches to die for. I can't touch any of it, basically. <sighs> like, I, I mean, I, They have grilled chicken nuggets now. I've had the... That's what I do when I'm stuck in an airport. Yeah. And, I, and I have supported Chick-fil-A because I like... I like the way I like their customer service. I like the way that they treat their employees. That they close on Sunday. They do all these things. That they're a Christian values company. The third largest fast food company in the United States. I was unaware of that, by the way. After McDonald's, and I believe Starbucks is number two now in terms yes, of Star- if you count Starbucks as fast food, yeah, yeah. Um, but the chicken nuggets. The grilled chicken. Look, no one really wants grilled chicken nuggets. It's like diet food, right? So I, you know, I understand that that's. Not a fair way for me to judge. The chicken nuggets are okay. But uh, Chick-fil-A is obviously a very, very successful business model, but it has come under a lot of uh, scrutiny in recent years because it is a traditional Christian values company. And as a traditional Christian values company, there is some conflict with the LGBTQ community with the woke left, with the social justice warriors, there are, are problems that they have with this. And so here is what Chick-fil-A decided to do after years of being uh, a staunch supporter, not just of Catholic, I mean, sorry, Christian rather values, but also Christian charities. Chick-fil-A is cutting off donations to the Salvation Army. They're getting rid of donations to the Salvation Army and the Fellowship of Christian Athletes because of their stands on same-sex marriage. So because those organizations, and remember, those organizations do not discriminate against anyone. They provide services, relief, assistance, help, food, shelter, advice, everything to people irrespective of religious belief, of, of gender, ethnicity, you know, you name anything, right? They do not discriminate. It's a sexual orientation. But the organization does support, and it's, uh, I believe the Salvation Army's officers, so to speak, are, are I think they're ministers or deacons. I mean, they're, is that, I, I believe that's their, that's a standard for them. Uh, and they espouse traditional marriage beliefs. The charity is now getting money cut off to it. Salvation Army, which uh, I think, well, I'll get into their um, their statement that they have put out as a result. But, you know, these are people that are always, you know, ringing the bell and they want the money on the street and Christmas time. They're raising all this money. They're really, they do a lot of good for a lot of people. Um, GLAD, which is a, uh, it is the gay and lesbian, I forget what the rest of the, but GLAD is an LGBTQ uh, advocacy organization, a very, a very powerful one, very well funded, a lot of uh, a lot of sway in in media world and and in corporate America in general. Glad in response, in response to what Chick Fil A did here, which I and I keep in mind there was also a, a controversy recently with Ellie Goulding who I don't even know who, I know she's a singer. I don't even know what her songs are, but, you know, I'm out of the loop these days. She wouldn't perform at the halftime ceremony of a 
I think it was an NFL game on Thanksgiving because there it was it was raising money, I think, for the Salvation Army, if, if memory serves. And so she wanted them to make a statement of support or to make a donation to a pro-LGBTQ charity. I mean, it's just tough to keep up with all this stuff. Anyway, so there's been a bit of controversy right now generated by the left, by these uh, different social justice warriors and and people trying to uh, outdo one, one another on their wokeness. A bit of controversy with regard to the Salvation Army. Remember, an, an organization that that just helps people. A charity. A charity that just helps people. They're going after that. Um, and GLAAD, the LGBT advocacy organization, responded officially to Chick-fil-A bending the knee to the LGBT community by cutting off the Salvation Army because the Salvation Army is for traditional marriage as a policy matter. Uh, Glad responded in this way, quote, in addition to refraining from financially uh, supporting anti-LGBTQ organizations, Chick-fil-A still lacks policies to ensure safe workplaces for LGBT, LGBTQ employees and should unequivocally speak out against the anti-LGBTQ reputation that their brand represents. Ah, see, this is the problem with bending the knee to wokeness. They do not take it as a gesture of good faith. They do not take it as conciliation. They see it as weakness, and then they expect more. Now you've conceded that you're a bigot, so you better listen to everything they say going forward, or else they're going to keep calling you a bigot, which you've already admitted to by changing your behavior based on what they say you should do. Have the executives at Chick-fil-A who came up with this decision to cut off the Salvation Army of all things, have they learned nothing in recent, have they seen nothing in recent years? Let's uh, be very clear about this. The LGBT activist community, there are LGBTQ people I know who are very active Christians and they have a different view of this matter. Uh, Many of them do, I should say. But the LGBT community of activist groups and the tremendous influence they have in culture and media and in corporate America now, they do not accept, they will not accept any organization that still advocates for traditional marriage. They expect those organizations to be uh, attacked and destroyed, including, and it's just a matter of time before this becomes even more overt, religious organizations. One of the problems that they will run into, however, with this is that when they try to get the Catholic Church to abandon its traditional marriage stance and other Christian denominations, although these days there's so many Christian denominations and, you know, some of them, I look at it and, I mean, seriously, it looks like some kind of a like youth rock concert where everyone's just like having a great time and no one's actually talking about morality or ethics or Jesus or the gospel, but that's a whole Another conversation for another day. I mean, if you want to go to a rock concert, just go to a rock concert. I don't know. I mean, that's how I, but then again, I grew up Catholic, so we have a lot of, you know, incense and, you know, singing and other things. Um, But what you see happening here is the move toward 
ostracizing and eventually uh, actively condemning any traditional marriage advocacy anywhere as the uh, equivalent of being uh, you know, a racist, for example. You know, that this is it's no longer going to be, oh, those are your religious beliefs. You believe that this is a covenant between a man and woman and God. And so as long as that's not official state policy, you can still to no. if you even speak that aloud. You will be punished. The state will be brought down on your head. The culture will be brought down on your head. The media will come after you. Even if you are a charity that has saved millions of people from deprivation, despair, and perhaps even worse during their darkest times. Here is how the Salvation Army responded to this uh, move by Chick-fil-A to drop them as a partner, a corporate uh, partner that sponsors some of what they do. Quote, We're saddened to learn that a corporate partner has felt it necessary to divert funding to other hunger education and homelessness organizations, areas in which the Salvation Army, as the largest social services provider in the world, is already fully committed. The Salvation Army said in a statement, quote, we serve more than 23 million individuals a year, including those in the LGBTQ plus community. In fact, We believe we are the largest provider of poverty relief to the LGBTQ population. They are helping 23 million people a year. But because the organization and its leadership and its Christian roots still adhere to a still adhere to a policy preference, really a religious and an ethical preference for marriage as it was traditionally known until the Obergfell decision, the Supreme Court in this country, you know, between a man and a woman. Um, That charity, all the good stuff they do doesn't really matter. They have to not just uh, be punished, but they have to, this organization now needs to be humiliated. It needs to be treated like it's a pariah organization. Um, We are not going to last very long as a country going forward. If we have to know the politics of every restaurant owner when we go into a restaurant, if we have to know, you know, I I had a friend recently tell me that uh, she has she knows people. She's obviously conservative, so she's cool. But she knows people who won't go to Soul Cycle, which is one of these bicycle cycling classes uh, indoor, won't go to Soul Cycle anymore because the owner has supported Trump. I mean, if this is the way that this society is going to go. If we're going to accept the hyper politicization of everything, extend no grace, no forgiveness and no uh, sense of of kindness and decency to each other, irrespective of political differences, uh, we are heading for very uh, dark and dangerous times as a country. Forget about climate change. That's bull. It's a distraction. It's nonsense. It's not going to do anything to you. I promise you. I mean, I know you already know this, but I promise you. Uh, you know, in, in 10 years, they'll still be saying, well, we were wrong about 10 years ago, but now it's really going to be bad. I mean, this is just, this is just, there's, there's a part of people's brains that like to think about how it's all going to end and the terribleness. And it's just, it's, it excites the brain to think about the end. Uh, and then it excites the socialists to think that they can take over all aspects of the economy and day-to-day life based upon this hyperventilating fairy tale they tell each other about how the world is going to end unless we stop 
you know, using certain light bulbs and take shorter showers. This is absurd. Uh, but this is a this is a bad day when an organization that is as, as successful as Chick Fil A bends the knee, and when a group that you would think should at least get some extension of faith of good faith and and uh, and people treat it with a little bit of of just respect for the good that it does is being uh, being trashed because they have a different view of marriage. This is not going to end well unless we start to turn the situation around. All right, team, there's a lot going on right now in Hong Kong. We haven't updated you on the story in a while. It is getting particularly violent. The standoff is getting worse. We want to bring in our friend Gordon Chang, author of The Coming Collapse of China. You see him all the time on Fox News. Also hear him on The John Batchelor Show. Uh, Gordon, thanks so much for joining us. Tell us what is going on right now in Hong Kong. Yeah, At this moment, there are two things of importance. One of them is that there was a standoff at Hong Kong Polytechnic University where there are about 600 or so protesters in the university buildings and they were completely surrounded by police. So it was a siege. About 80 or so escaped. There's maybe 100 left. The others uh, surrendered. Um, those who were 18 or above were arrested. Those below 18, um, they were merely photographed uh, their Hong Kong identity card numbers taken and they were let go, at least for the moment. The other development is extremely troubling, and I think it's because Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, believes he has the advantage because the siege at Hong Kong Polytechnic is winding down, and that is there was an attack on Albert Ho, a leading pro-democracy figure. There was an attempt uh, to burn down the premises of the Epic Times, a newspaper, um, and it seems like we are starting to see thug rule in Hong Kong. And this was related, of course, to China, because China, for the most part, controls the uh, political activities of thugs in the territory. Now, what do you think uh, the response from the Chinese government is going to be in the days ahead? It feels like there's been an escalation of violence. I feel, I, if I remember a few days ago, there was video of a policeman in Hong Kong shooting a protester at, at effectively point blank range in the chest. Uh, so there's been there's been real violence. Uh, do you think that what what prevents uh, Xi Jinping from just saying do what you got to do, lock it down, and and start really uh, essentially go the Tiananmen Square route? Well, I think that the police have pretty much orders to do whatever they want which is the reason why eight days ago in that incident you mentioned, a Hong Kong traffic cop pulled a revolver on a protester who was obviously unarmed, shot him in the torso. And this was in an open place where the officer could have retreated. There was no threat at all to his life, uh, no threat of all to property damage, nothing. Um, and so we have seen a much more aggressive attitude on the part of the police. And indeed, in this Hong Kong polytechnic standoff, um, some of the tactics of the police have really been horrific. There's this video going around showing a protester lying completely prone on the ground, Hong Kong policemen stomping on his head. Um, also, uh, people who were trying to surrender from Pol Hong Kong Polytechnic were met with rubber bullets and with tear gas. So I think the police essentially can do what they want. Now, I think what prevents China from formally deploying the People's Armed Police or the People's Liberation Army is that they know that the protesters will fight them and that not only the protesters will take casualties, but so will China's forces. And the casualties will be high on both sides. 
I think that's the deterrent right now with uh, Xi Jinping. Is there any real effort to negotiate between the two sides? Who's in charge of that? You know, whatever happened to Carrie Lam and, and, and how are the uh, how are those processes playing out if they're playing out at all? Yeah. Dialogue um, between the two sides is completely broken down. Uh, first of all, it, it is difficult to negotiate um, with protesters because there's so many different types of protesters right now. Nobody speaks for the movement. Nobody wants to speak for the movement. On the other side, Carrie Lam speaks for nobody but Xi Jinping. Um, she is not making decisions. Um, China has completely taken over the Hong Kong government, as it's taken over the Hong Kong police force. So talking to her is is um, not really a productive. And also Xi Jinping doesn't want to talk. He wants to settle this with harsh measures, as we have seen over the last several months. Now, what do you think that the outcome here is going to be, Gordon? I mean, how, how, how does this, it feels like it's gone on for so many months at this point. Where does this head and how does it end? Yeah. Well, first of all, protests have gone on since April, and they've been going on continuously since June. So we're now in our sixth month. I don't know where this ends, of course, um, but uh, there's several uh, outcomes, some of which I think most people don't expect. One of them is that the protesters just outlast China um, because China itself is fragile. um, And I think that Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, is certainly going to be um, held to account for these hardline policies that have triggered the unrest. So there are any number of things that could happen, but uh, one of them is, and I think the most likely is, just continued standoff um, in Hong Kong. And every time that the protests look like they're going to peter out, I'm sure Beijing is going to do something to enrage people, just as it did a couple days ago by declaring that the Hong Kong courts have no jurisdiction to uh, interpret the basic law, which is Hong Kong's mini constitution, as they call it. Is there a possible off-ramp you could see for Xi Jinping to de-escalate the situation without without losing a lot of face? Is, is there something feasible? Or if he were to say, okay, we're going to reevaluate this and, and essentially call off the dogs, that you know, it would just look like he's weak and, and there could be real ramifications. I mean, is there an off-ramp? You know, there probably is an off-ramp. Uh, I don't think it'll be taken. Um, but we do know that some of the senior officials in the Hong Kong government privately do not like what's going on. And sometimes they murmur things in public. So um, it's possible, not likely, but it's possible that you could see uh, senior Hong Kong government officials um, try to reach out to the various parts of the protest movement. Um, For a number of reasons, I don't think that they will, and I don't think the protesters will talk to them at this point. So um, no likely off-ramps. Uh, in the immediate future. To the degree that we can tell, and we're speaking to Gordon Chang, everybody, author of The Coming Collapse of China. Uh, Gordon, uh, to the degree that that we can tell, or that that you can tell, um, what is sentiment in mainland China among just, you know, the the general Chinese population about what's going on in Hong Kong? Is is there, are, are there pockets of support for this that could turn into something beyond just what we see in Hong Kong, essentially, is is this going to maybe get uh, a little bit of a wind in the sails of some of the pro-freedom folks inside of China, or is that just a, a fantasy at this point? That's a great question, Buck. Um, 
I think there are pockets of support um, for the Hong Kong protesters inside mainland China, mostly in Guangdong province, which uh, surrounds Hong Kong. Um, but also, I think that um, people in China, um, by and large, do not sympathize with people from Hong Kong, never have, probably won't in our lifetimes. But that's not to say that protests can't um, spread into the mainland, because people in China have got their own grievances, especially related to the economy, which is in serious trouble, Buck. So um, it's not growing at the 6.0% pace that they claim for the third quarter. It's more like 1%, maybe even negative. And that is causing and will cause a lot of loss to people um, who are not accustomed to losing money. So um, as Arthur Waldron of the University of Pennsylvania points out, Chinese regimes unravel from the outside in. Hong Kong is on the periphery of main, of China, and you can see the same dynamic occur um, as we've seen in the past throughout China's imperial period. So Hong Kong could be a tipping point that has real ramifications for the regime. How would that play out? Well, I think it would play out um, this way, and that is... Um, I would like to think, and here I'm hoping probably more than assessing, but I would hope to think that Americans would see that they have common cause with the protesters in Hong Kong, because the same power that is encroaching on their autonomy, China, is also attacking our democracy. And I don't think the American political establishment is there yet, but you're starting to see many voices, especially in the Senate, uh, and even some in the House that are starting to think that uh, we need to be much more supportive of people in Hong Kong. There is the Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act of, of 2019. Um, it passed the House. It probably will pass the Senate, um, both with veto-proof majorities. Um, and that could be the start of a more robust response to China. But I think that we need to stand with the kids in Hong Kong, largely because that's our fight. What uh, what do you think the Trump administration should do and, and how how would you assess how Trump has handled this so far? Well, I think Trump has um, handled this in the way that the American foreign policy establishment has wanted him to, which is to speak up about it, but not to um, do too much. And also to talk to the Chinese behind the scenes, um, which I'm sure has occurred. Um, Trump, um, I thought the president made uh, a really, really good comments at his U.N. General Assembly speech in September. He's talked about it in August. He's also spoke about it in um, October. I think we're going to hear more from the president on this, um, largely because this is something that's becoming unavoidable as we're seeing more and more scenes of what's happening. Um, and I think that, as I, as I said, as I hope, more people will see this as our fight as well. So I do see more um, Reagan-esque comments coming from President Trump, uh, especially as time progresses. Have you seen a change? I mean, you're somebody that uh, operates in, in the same you know, echelon as a lot of the folks who are uh, experts on China that go on TV. And I mean, you know those folks, you, you know what they write. Have you seen a change in sentiment among the uh, Chinese foreign policy and you know, U.S. Chinese foreign policy intelligentsia, specifically about the trade war? Because, I mean, I remember in the early days of this, it was going to be fire and brimstone and it was crazy. And now we just don't hear a lot about it. Gordon, why aren't we hearing so much about the trade war? Well, I think that um, President Trump has won uh, many of the arguments on the trade war. 
when um, when what we call a trade war, I should say, because this is really a broader economic war, and indeed it's even a more comprehensive struggle than that. But put that aside for the moment. Um, people were saying, you know, in 2018, oh, China's got all the upper, upper hand, it's got all the cards, it's got more political will. And um, people, as they've started to look at the relationship between China and the United States, have seen that, no, when you look at objective factors, the U.S. has almost all the high cards. And as a question of political will, that's still up in the air because um, you have President Trump, who has actually, I think, played the Chinese very well right now. Um, He's taken a strong hand and he has pushed the Chinese in ways that they probably thought were not possible. So um, I think that's good. In in terms of the way um, China watchers look at this, uh, it's become inescapable um, how bad China has behaved. And so we're starting to see, I think, a new consensus. And if you want to think about any one example in the last week, it's that New York Times revelation of 403 pages of Communist Party documents on the treatment of the Uyghurs and Kazakhs in the northwestern part of China, what China calls Xinjiang and what the local inhabitants call Chinese-occupied East Turkestan. Gordon Chang, everybody. Gordon, thanks so much for making the time. We appreciate your expertise. Thank you so much, Buck. we got an update for you on the uh, Epstein situation. Uh, I, I don't even know. It's not really an investigation. It's, it's uh, a lot of things all tied together. Uh, you have the guards who... The two guards who apparently fell asleep in the Manhattan Correctional Facility here in New York City, and Epstein, and then Epstein killed himself while they were asleep, and they altered the logs somehow to cover up what had happened. Uh, I, I, we're supposed to believe it's all a coincidence. I just we're we're being told that they they fell asleep. It was an accident. Highest proof. I mean, if there was one time in the careers of these two guards not to fall asleep. It was this time, and they fell asleep. I, I, it strikes me as a little coincidental that this happened with this particular prisoner who might have had, and now we'll never really know, information in his head about pedophilia and some of the most powerful people, wealthy people, influential people in the world. It's co- It's just very coincidental. And uh, I really liked, uh, I saw a, a clip from Tucker Carlson's show uh, recently. It was an old clip where he points out that when you upset the state, the big S state, um, if you're Roger Stone, they send SWAT teams in your house to humiliate you and they tip off CNN. Remember that when CNN was like, we just got lucky. <laughs> what a bunch of liars. As the place is such a disgrace. It's disgusting. Uh, but, uh, you know, they, they they humiliated Roger Stone. They sent armed people. They could have just called and said, turn yourself in tomorrow. You're under arrest. 100% chance that Roger Stone would have said, all right, I'll be in court tomorrow. Or I'll, I'll, rather, I'll, I'll be in the station house or whatever it is tomorrow. But no, no, they sent people in at 6 a.m. with guns and guns and more guns to terrify him and create a spectacle. But Epstein was allowed to turn himself in. Epstein... The first time around was given the most pampered treatment of anybody you've ever heard of in prison. And he was trafficking in, I believe, over 34 victims have been identified, young girls. 
How can anyone look at that part of our system and not say there's really something wrong here? Why are we supposed to always be, we're supposed to be quiet and believe the system is good and fair and there's no, only by the way, when the, when the system uh, is, is crushing Republicans all the time, then the system is great. But we see what goes on here with Epstein and, uh, and we're told, well, no, you have to believe it. You have to think that they knew what they were doing here somehow. And if you ask too many questions about who in power influenced this whole process, then you're a conspiracy theorist. Um, mm, no, I don't think so. I don't think that's the case at all. Uh, I'm still wondering when there'll be more information, more evidence out there about Epstein. By the way, the uh, British royal, is it, it Prince Andrew, right? That's the one, the second son of, of Queen Elizabeth. Uh, he, his PR director or whatever the guy's title was, resigned before the BBC interview. So clearly he knew that this was not going to go well. And yet he did that interview anyway. Um, and then you, I mean, it, it's its still pretty stunning to me uh, that there's not more curiosity among journalists with so many of these pieces out there. And I'm telling you, it's because they're, they really, they know, there's a, there's a sense that they know that digging too deep with the Epstein thing could lead to places that a lot of lib journals just don't want to go. Forget about all the underage victims for the lib journos. That's not that's not worth the risk here if it could really damage one political party a whole lot. All right. Welcome back. I know, team, we've talked about the uh, impeachment stuff for quite a bit today. I don't want to spend uh, too much time on it. Uh, we've I just there's a there's a couple couple things I want to throw in the mix. Then we'll move on to some other stuff, too, uh, that I did not get to before. One is the. The clear theatrics of this Vindman fellow. I mean, he, re- he really is auditioning for an MSNBC contributor role. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Uh, here is what he said. He's testifying about this in front of Congress. And, you know, break, break out the world's smallest violin for this guy. Play it, please. Dad, I'm sitting here today in the U.S. Capitol talking to our elected professionals. Is proof that you made the right decision 40 years ago to leave the Soviet Union come here to the United States of America in search of a better life for our family. Do not worry. I will be fine for telling the truth. Oh, why are we even hearing about this? Why is he bringing up his father? Who's talking about? What is this? This is ridiculous. Oh, we can't know who the whistleblower is. This guy is going to tell us about, you know, his life story and his family history and you know, break out the handkerchiefs for all the tears and the whole thing. And, oh, you know, Mr. President, I don't dance. You know, his Jack Ryan moment. And how dare you come in here and bark at me like some kind of junkyard dog? I am the president of the United States. Sorry, Mr. President, I don't dance. The old Potomac two-step, Jack. It's the best scene in that movie, man. It's great. There's that clear and present danger. So much better than the Jack Ryan Amazon show. Somebody should really find the Jack Ryan Amazon people and be like, you need to talk to Buck Sexton. He'll help you so your third season doesn't doesn't stink because right now your your second season is garbage. Anyway, so yeah, we we when I talk to you about the theatrics and stuff from Vinman, I mean I'm I'm just referring to what what exactly was going on here, which is Vinman is like, oh, you know, look at me. I'm speaking the truth about this. Um 
you know, in some ways, Vindman was really the, the origin of this whole thing, right? He's He clearly told somebody who concocted the whole whistleblower scheme, but, you know, Vindman was the one who was like, I'm so troubled by this because he was upset that there would be a lack of bipartisan consensus on on Ukraine policy. Um, I'd also, I do think it's worth pointing out as we go through this, who really cares that much about Ukraine in this country? I mean, let's be real here for a second. I'm not saying it doesn't matter at all, but this is not a, a core national security interest of the United States. It's just not. But, you know, oh, Ukraine policy, if we get it wrong there. I mean, Obama got every foreign policy question wrong for all the years. Wrong on everything. Wrong on Libya. Wrong on Syria. Wrong in Iraq. Wrong in Afghanistan. Wrong. Just go through a country. Was anyone, oh, my gosh, Obama's foreign policy decision making is not within the interagency consensus. Who cares? You know, we're, we're all supposed to care. We're all supposed to think that this is. Um, it's great. Anyway, let's 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 switch into. Oh wait, no, no. There's one more. There's one more. I, my man, my man, jacketless Jim Jordan. He he had a moment where he got to expose once again that there, someone's lying, and I think we all know Schiff is lying, but someone's lying about the whistleblower, and knowing the identity of it. Because here's how that would play. Play Jim Jordan, please. Uh, Mr. Jordan, on uh, call readout, certainly after the first call. There were probably a half a dozen or more people that I read out. Those are people with the proper clearance and the need to know. In this case, because of the sensitivity of the call and Mr. Eisenberg told me not to speak to anybody else, I only read out, outside of the NSC, two individuals. Two individuals. Das Kent and one other person. And you're not willing to tell us who that other individual is? Mr. Chairman, point of order. Mr. Chairman. Mr. Chairman, point of order. The gentleman suspend, counsel. Uh, Mr. Chairman, uh, I would ask you to enforce the uh, the rule with regard to the disclosure, with regard to the uh, intelligence officer. Um, thank you, counsel. You know, as I indicated before, this committee will not be used to out the whistleblower. Um, that same uh, Mr. Chairman, can, necessity can you, can you of protecting the whistleblower stop the time so I don't lose the will time. persist. Uh, you are recognized again, Mr. Jordan. Mr. Chairman. I don't see how this is outing the whistleblower. The, the witness has testified in his deposition that he doesn't know who the whistleblower is. You have said, even though no one believes you, you have said you don't know who the whistleblower is. So how is this outing the whistleblower to, to, to find out who this individual is? Jordan, uh, this is your time for questioning. You can use it any way like, but what? your question should be addressed to the and witness. I'd like to... And your question should not be addressed to trying to out the whistleblower. Well, okay, okay. Notice how Schiff can't answer that question. Schiff is ruling on this. They're giving this witness some kind of special immunity from answering a question based on the premise that it could be outing a whistleblower that they say they don't even know who the whistleblower is. Now, we're not idiots. Clearly, what they are trying to do is just create a fig leaf, create a facade of not knowing that what happened here was the was was Vinman was all, oh my gosh, brought up Biden. We got to protect Biden. Biden is going to bring back the establishment and he'll be great for this country. And and he talked to one of Biden's little buddies in the, in the deep state. Reportedly, this fellow Eric Sharmella, but we don't know officially. And then the whistleblower must be the person that was told about the call. And then he came up with this idea of, well, I'll use the, you know, the interagency process and go to the inspector general and 
maintain anonymity through the through it and and that way we can talk about this and not worry about uh leaking classified information etc etc obviously that's why they won't tell us who he told about the phone call and the claim that this person had a need to know i i would i mean i can't know because i don't know who the person was but i would almost certainly tell you that that is false almost certainly tell you that that is a lie now, need to know is always there's a bit of discretion and gray area. Well, who really has a need to know? you got to have the clearance. That's the legal groundwork for this, right? You can't tell someone something classified unless they have a clearance for that level of information. Uh, but beyond that, need to know is always a... Uh, but I'm telling you, in reality, this guy got to have a need to know. He's like an anti-Trumper, and Vinman knew that he'd get all spun up about this and that they would come up with some some scheme to use this as a grounds for impeaching the president. I mean, impeaching the president's a really big deal. It's a really big deal. They're going to do it on this? These people are out of their minds. All right, I'll... I'll, I just... There were some... Some left in the cutting room floor from before that I wanted to get to here on this stuff. But let's talk about Democrats and their crazy... uh, Oh, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. There's one more thing. Speaking of uh, those who talk to us like we're idiots and like we can't figure anything else out, CNN hired Andy McCabe, the former acting FBI director who was at the center of all these shenanigans with, uh, you know, Comey and the special counsel and getting all the Russia collusion nonsense laundered through the FBI and the DOJ to make it seem like it was legitimate. Uh, McCabe lied under oath multiple times. He lied about leaking, leaking that not only he was guilty of, but also that he was blaming subordinates for. That's that's the kind of guy he is. How dare you leak the information that I actually secretly leaked myself? You're lucky I don't fire you for doing the thing that I actually did. That's who Andy McCabe is. So before they do the whole, oh, he's America's last best Boy Scout. He's amazing. Mm. Enough about that. But CNN hired him right away because if you're hashtag resistance, you know you can go to CNN and they'll pay you and they'll take care of you. And, you know, that that's what goes on over there. Um, but here's what McCabe says about the uh, folks in the federal bureaucracy and the way that they it's, it's just never about politics, he tells us. Play a 20, please. We don't know in the FBI. We don't ask each other our political beliefs. We don't talk about political issues. Um, I think. There is, of course, no deep state. There is no resistance within the bureaucracy across the government agencies pushing against this president. But what there is in that bureaucracy are thousands and thousands of men and women who are committed to the rule of law. And we now have an administration that frequently finds itself bumping up against those laws that we rely on to govern this country. And so when people across government stand up for those rules and point out those transgressions, we see how they're treated by this president and by his administration. Nice, sanctimonious monologue going here. What are the laws that he brushed up against, by the way? What what are those laws? Laws like the one that Sally Yates said that was being violated when she refused a lawful order from the president and the Supreme Court had to say, actually, acting attorney general, maybe learn learn what the statute says before you decide you're not going to do something because you don't like it. Who's really lawless? The people who... And it must have been a small circle, and it was Obama appointees, most likely, folks, who uh, leaked highly classified information about General Flynn's phone call to the Washington Post in an effort to take him down. That's a felony. So 
are, who are those? Those are those people who are just trying to do their best to obey the rule of law and the thousands and thousands of men and women. What about Andy McCabe? Why would he lie under oath to the inspector general of the FBI? I thought does Andy McCabe apparently brushes up against the law. Isn't that weird? He, he, he has problems staying within the law as the FBI director. I am FBI agent. You've never seen uh, Point Break, have you? I have not. Dude, you are totally missing out. Keanu Reeves, Beto O'Rourke, sound a little bit alike. I prefer uh, Jack Bauer. It's probably a better show. So anyway, you got uh, Deep State McCabe telling you there is no Deep State. What a surprise. By the way... He's got to get criminally prosecuted, folks. He lied. He lied under oath. They're going to go after. They're going to after Roger Stone. They got to go after McCabe. You know, when it comes to criminal law, forget about the whole cultural wokeness, social justice stuff for a second. I mean, you know, do we have to live under the rules that they make? Well, that's really hard because they change the rules all the time. We can't allow that with criminal law. The law is going to be the law. That's the way this is going to have to go. But I, I love CNN brings on CNN bringing on McCabe to talk about the absence of the deep state is just like CNN this past weekend bringing on Dan Rather, the original king of fake news for using falsified documents to try to throw a presidential election. They use him to talk about truth and accuracy in the media. These people have neither a sense of shame nor a sense of irony. His inability to say words sometimes worries me tremendously. He is having trouble word finding when he said United States instead of United States. These aren't words. These aren't slips of the tongue. These are words he can't find them. And this is happening over and over again. Comedians joke about it, but it's not a joking matter. I think there is a, a neurological issue that is not being addressed. And if he had an MRI of his head over there, I would be uh, very pleased because I think he needs. CNN puts on air here. This is am- I mean, this is amazing. You really cannot make this stuff up. Uh, CNN puts on air a doctor, Dr. David Shiner, who was apparently Obama's former doctor, I see here on our sheet, who is giving uh, life once again to the theory that Trump is insane. I mean, actually, like not of sound mind is is uh, either senile or suffering from dementia or has gone crazy. You know, they they even tried they tried this against uh, Reagan, too, by the way. You'll remember that. That was what they were saying about Reagan. Um, but now they're saying it about Trump. Uh, at, at what point do you think they feel silly running the playbook so many times in a way that it's so obvious what they're doing? Right. They're 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 once again, here we are with, oh, maybe we got to remove Trump with the 25th Amendment. You know, they're they're starting this whole thing again based on slurred words. If slurred words are going to be taken as evidence for a doctor to diagnose from afar, which is, by the way, not a smart thing to do uh, on national TV, on a cable news network. If slurring words is going to be a problem, what do they think of Joe Biden? Well, that's gurgling gurgling, but, you know, Uh, I just want to know why don't they have somebody on CNN diagnosing Joe Biden's mental health? 
forgets where he is, says really stupid things that no one can believe how dumb it is what he said. I mean, you know, confuses things that are not close together. I mean, really? No, only Trump. But CNN's unbiased. Only idiots really believe that now. The there, There's a, uh, a mentality among the CNN audience that I'm familiar with where they... They like to think that the people they're watching are the smart, good people, and therefore they're the real journalists. So they know that there is really no Santa Claus, that CNN is a partisan organization. It is a wing of the Democratic Party now, and it does Democrat left-wing bidding all the time, all day long on air. But they, they still like to cling to that pleasant fiction. That maybe they really are just journalists over there. So the CNN audience will never will never flee from them because they're doing what they want them to do. They're they're playing out this uh, this myth in real time that CNN is the real honest good place where the journalist stuff happens. Um, but you know this this whole impeachment farce, unfortunately, is going to. Uh, Oh, wait, we got Senator Patrick Leahy here talking about how there's witness intimidation with the tweet. Is that what this is? This is this is going to be amazing. Play clip 10, please, if you would. And if I could ask you, how do you think the impeachment inquiry testimonies are going? Well, the, you know, the closed doors had both Republicans and Democrats there. Uh, I think uh, some of the Republicans thought they could fool the press by claiming we want to be in that room. Well, of course, there are Republicans in that room. And I, I think it, it stopped the theatrics. Go down. This is a very serious thing with the things the ambassador, what she said the other day, and then have the president tweet to try to uh, uh, intimidate her. I was a prosecutor for eight years. I know what intimidation. What did you think when she said that she felt threatened by that call? Uh, when I was a prosecutor, I, I would have thought I would have called that witness tampering. I know a witness intimidation is. These politicians, you know, they, they really, some of them would just, they'd be doing all of us such a favor if they would, uh, you know, give it up, go spend time with their families, you know, go help out in their communities, volunteer, do stuff where you don't have cameras on you all the time. I've been mumbling for, for 50 years. I'm going to mumble for another 50 years. You're... No serious legal analyst with uh, with any intelligence whatsoever really thinks that it was witness intimidation for the president to tweet out that this person is bad at her job. That's an opinion. If the president no longer has First Amendment rights because someone is going to testify against him, I'd like to know how they're going to actually enforce these rules. But there are there is no universal applicability of the rules Democrats are always applying against Trump. It's never, okay, the standard we've created for him is now going to be the standard because it's either so in violation of legal and constitutional norms that it would be it would be preposterous, or even beyond that, they just have no chance of of uh, realistically speaking, they have they have no chance of using it as a means to test their own side. They just won't do it. So anyway, I, I find uh, yeah, Patrick Senator Patrick Leahy, man. Democratic Party is not sending us their best, that's for sure. Or maybe this is their best, the people who are the most uh, morally pliable, dishonest, and just the relentless stop-at-nothing pursuit of power. I, I suppose the Democrats have stacked their stacked their roster with people who fall into that category, and maybe that makes them happy. Colin Kaepernick is making headlines again. 
So this guy, from the people that I know, you know, I have brothers who know a lot about football. I don't know that much about football. My producer, Mark, you know about football. What, what is the, Kaeper, the Kaepernick situation here? Just bring everybody up to speed for a moment. What, what is this guy doing now? Uh, like what happened this yeah, recently? Like what, is, what is this thing? So last week uh, around Tuesday, the NFL said they were going to give him a workout. Uh, and a lot of people think that it was uh, some in part of some sort of settlement with between him and the league. So Saturday was supposed to be the workout at the Falcons facility. That's the team in Atlanta. Uh, for those people who are not uh, too up on football. And uh, they couldn't agree on basically Kaepernick wanted his own film crew there, but the NFL was just going to use the Falcons film crew and then distribute it to everybody, uh, all 32 NFL teams. Kaepernick didn't like that. He wanted an independent film crew, and he wanted it open to the media. So he ended up doing his own um, his own workout an hour later than the NFL's mandated workout uh, at a high school. Open to the media and all that. What do you think is? I mean, was this just for the spectacle? Why? Why? I think he... it's just two parties that can't agree on anything. Two that wanted to one up each other. I mean, does this? Does anyone really even think that this guy would come back in the league? And I mean, he was. Wasn't he? I don't think worse? he wants to come back in the league at this point. I think this is all a spectacle. I, I just I don't even understand how this guy is managing to still be in the news cycle the <sighs> way that he is. And I mean, I know he's wokeness and social justice, and he's created this whole. A character of uh you know that that the TV that the TV viewing audience I suppose is interested in and he's now something of a martyr for social justice because he took a knee he did wear pigs in cop uniform he did on do his that, socks yes. so I haven't forgotten about that one uh, but here we could we could hear from we have we've got a Kaepernick uh, clip somewhere along here where did he go Let, let's hear what this gentleman is he'll play it I've been ready for three years I've been denied for three years. We all know why I came out here, showed it today in front of everybody. We have nothing to hide. So we're waiting for the 32 owners, the 32 teams, Roger Goodell, all of them to stop running. Stop running from the truth. Stop running from the people. We're out here. We're ready to play. We're ready to go anywhere. My agent, Jeff Nally, is ready to talk to any team. I'll interview with any team at any time. I've been ready. I'm staying ready. And I'll continue to be ready. What if he's just not good enough? Does that ever does that ever factor into the con? What if he's gotten a little older, a little slower, and he's actually just not good enough? And he's a prima donna and would be a big pain in the neck for any team to deal with. Isn't that possible, producer Mark? Yeah, he's not a good enough NFL player to be warranting that kind of distraction in the locker room. If he was Tom Brady, if he was Aaron Rodgers, a player to that level, a Hall of Fame type player, any owner would sign him because winning is everything. But Kaepernick isn't that great of a quarterback to have the distraction that it would be at this point in the locker room and the potential that you have half the locker room that won't agree with him and half that will agree with him, and that'll fracture a locker room, which kills the season. And and wasn't there a player recently who was like a troublemaker and someone signed him and they had to get rid of him right away? I forget what this was. Oh, Antonio Brown. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What happened with him? Uh, well, the Patriots are a different animal. You you know, Belichick keeps a very tight ship, and Antonio Brown's a little bit of a mental case, but he's a great player, but they released him immediately because he wasn't conforming to Patriot standards. Right. So he came in and he was like, I'm going to do it my way, and they were like, you're out. Yes. And now there are also uh, rape allegations against him. Well, that's a big deal. That's, that's the other reason. Nobody has yeah. signed him since. Ah. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, I, feel, I, I knew there was something going on there. Oh, but we we got to switch gears here because I, I promise we talk about this um, at the top of the show. Fartgate. Dun dun dun. It's a thing. 
It was blowing up on social media last night. It was shaking the room, even. I know. It was explosive. Uh, This was MSNBC's Chris Matthews talking to Eric Swalwell. Is this childish? Is it worthy of the Buck Sexton show to discuss this? I don't know, but it was a big news story last night. I don't make the rules. This is how the exchange went. Audio on, my friends. Taxpayer dollars to ask the Ukrainians to help them cheat an election. (laughs) It's so childish, I know. It's so dumb. Oh, man. It came across loud and clear, though. We all know what that was. We all know what it was. And then you had the you know amateur detectives, the various sleuths online, who were all taking to uh, taking to social media to indicate uh, what they whether it was you know whoever whoever smelt it dealt it or whoever denied it supplied it. Uh, I I Swalwell, if you look at the video, he kind of pauses for a second, and so people initially were suggesting that that was the that was the moment of recognition that he just let he just let one rip. Um, he just let a let a stinky sneeze go um, on on air, and then people were saying, "But no, it might have been Chris Matthews that that did this because Chris Matthews was dead." Line. I, I, I I don't know. You get the uh, the lav mic, the LAV mic. Uh, would it pick up that ambient noise? But that was on a national TV hit, and I can tell you that some things you know some, things do happen when you're doing live TV. I'll never forget once uh, Judge Jeanine Pirro, who's who's great, a lot of fun. She had me on her show, and she was wearing a dress, and I was wearing a suit. And under the lights on that show, I'm telling you, it was like 105 degrees. And uh, I started sweating and sweating and sweating. And every time they would go away from me to her or a clip, I could see in the monitor, and I would just take flop sweat off my forehead and just fling it across the room because it looked like I was in the midst of some kind of panic attack. I was actually just really hot because it was really hot on those lights. So stuff can happen. But uh, Swalwell is not going to live this one down for a while. I will say that noise was really a perfect soundbite encapsulation of his abandoned primary campaign. So there is that. Producer Mark, do you have a theory on whoever supplied it, denied it, or whoever smelt it, dealt it? Just by his face, it was him. You think so, right? I've made that face before, many times. Yeah. (laughs) Have you ever done it in, like, a quiet room? With a lot of people in it, you know where I've been. It's told, happened to me a where lot. I've been told by friends oh. it can happen sometimes in the gym. And oh, that's bad. Cause, cause, but also, you figure, so I'm told, that if you're in the gym, people are going to have headphones on. But let's say you're in the gym and everybody has headphones on, and you think you're safe, and then you you were to just relax and let it let you know let nature have its take its course there, and you engaged in your own aerosol bombing of your athletic facility. And then you see, perhaps see a, a beautiful, uh, you know, woman in, in her in her late twenties or early thirties working out near you, who does not have headphones on because she prefers to just listen to the music coming over the PA system. Then you have to think in your head, was she's this, a psychopath. Did, well, <laughs> but did she did she hear or not? And that can, yeah. that can be troublesome for some people. I'm told I've some heard. people just working out. You know, you can't help it. I will say I have you a couple friends it. who are yoga instructors, and it is known that once you kind of get the you get that energy flow going, you got to let it all flow. And that can mean stuff happens in there. So, see, we're all adults here. 
It's nature. It's no big deal. It happens. It happens. But neither me nor producer Mark, we, we are very gentlemanly in the Freedom Hut in here. So this is this is not this is not some zoo. We don't allow things to get crazy and, and uh, uncouth. We're too close. Uh, yeah, we're close cl- together. We're close quarters in mm. here, so we got We got to keep it clean. Uh, all right, roll calls coming up. Like soft butter on warm toast. Time to spread some freedom coast to coast. It's time for roll call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or TeamBucketIHeartMedia.com. There we go. Now let's get to it, shall we? Uh, Chris. Buck, shield time, my man. I hear you and the others say the rot in the FBI is limited to the top. I used to think so, too, but I'm having serious doubts. Any organization that relies on handwritten notes and refuses to record interviews, except wiretaps and secret recordings, of course, as the norm, is suspicious. An organization that made its bones going after the mafia with tangential crimes like tax evasion has embraced the win in any way necessary. That is their mentality. I'm not defending criminals, but this approach... um, where did it go? I just lost it. This approach has uh, changed the character of the FBI. It's no longer about criminal intent. They'll go after people for lying or any number of tactics to secure a conviction. I'm not saying this is always unwarranted, but I believe this core attitude is so pervasive it corrupted the entire organization and corrupt and political top officials. You're looking at the beginning of something terrifying. Um, Chris, I do think, unfortunately, especially at that level, the FBI, or rather at the FBI level, so federal crimes, there is a, a common mentality of, we want to put wins up on the board. You got to get collars, as we see in the NYPD, you got to get convictions uh, against people. And that, that, that mentality of putting points on the board can influence decision-making about things that can have a really big effect on people's lives so um yeah there we go let's see what we have here Kristen. um men at work are definitely aussies they were my favorite band of the 80s yes the buck is right even when he doubts himself because the buck should not doubt himself that is for sure um Robert writes, Men at Work is an Australian band, and their best song is Down Under. Oh, yeah, that's right. So there's Who Could It Be Knocking At My Door, and then there's also um, I Come From a Land Down Under. That's why I thought Men at Work was Aussie, because they're definitely Aussie. Uh, And something, something about a Vegemite sandwich. (laughs) That's in there, too. Can you hear? Can you hear the thunder? Come on, producer Mark, sing with me, babe. Let's do it. You gotta da 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 da. da. You just call me babe. You know what I mean. I mean, I know we're close, but this is. I'm this just, is a I was new in level. the rock star. I'm in the rock star mode. I'm trying to give you know, trying to get the the crowd of one fired up in here. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Didn't you take the harassment course that the company gave? Uh, that's a fair point. Julia writes, Buck, awesome, awesome show yesterday. A friend of mine who also indulges in the Buck Sexton show said that Netflix's War Machine with Brad Pitt was based on General McChrystal and his staff's shenanigans, Shields High. 
Um, is that true? I didn't know about that. And thank you so much, Julia. Thank you for listening. And I haven't seen Brad Pitt War Machine. I'm really behind on my shows because I have to go home after the Bucks Action Show every day and write for hours and hours to put out this book on crushing commies that I'm going to be uh, releasing for all of you probably in January or February. Yeah, it's coming soon. So uh, I don't have a ton of time for the shows because right now I got in the queue. The Americans, Peaky Blinders, latest season. Um, There's some other stuff that I want to see that I've, although I will say at night, I've been watching this Netflix series on World War II. It's like World War II in color. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's uh, They do a good job. They do the, some of the major events. I mean, I know all the stories already, and I've learned very little new stuff, but uh, it's pretty good. A little bit. Well, I enjoy it a little bit. I don't know what it is. Watching like World War II movies before you go to sleep, and actually, it's as crazy as it is. I don't know what it like watching the old footage and stuff. It just kind of like zones me out, and then, you know, I can like I can go to sleep easily. So sometimes I watch, you know, the most cataclysmic, battles of, of all history and i'm like oh okay now it's now now i know everything will be okay in the world so i guess i can go to sleep uh here we go michael writes buck willow was a great movie directed by ron howard and story by george lucas it is one of val Kilmer's top three roles doc holiday being number one of course in tombstone back in the 80s when kids movies were a little dark it deserves a rewatch shields high Michael, I don't know about Willow, man. It has some cool sequences in it. I will give you that. Um, but I, I'm sorry. To me, it is very much right out of the Lord of the Rings universe. So um, you got to see. You got to see. Let's see what we got here. Michelle, right? Buck, I got some great responses and private messages for uh, thanking me for referring you. And... Uh, you indeed have some new members of Team Buck. And then, let's see what we have here. Uh, I continue making clips with you. Thank you for your work. Continue to fun on. Thank you, Michelle. Please continue posting clips and spreading the word about the show. The single most helpful thing you can do for us here in the Freedom Hut is that. Tell people about what we've got going on here. Tell them about this show. Tell them to watch this show. Uh, here we go. Uh, Skip, I'm dismayed to suggest the lack of effective law enforcement in the major sanctuary cities is not a new occurrence and will tragically devolve into a similar outcome. California in the mid-1800s, as a result of the gold rush, collapsed into veritable lawlessness in which the police were either totally ineffective or unwilling to enforce law and order. This set the scene for statewide vigilante retaliation on the part of disgruntled citizens. There were many labels creatively describing these loosely organized uh, groups. One was uh, called the Safety Committee. Law enforcement in my town is in a downward spiral and outraged citizens are demanding change. The town council voted recently to create a safety committee with an emphasis on volunteer neighborhood watch. Perhaps a necessary solution as our police are proving to be ineffective. But it is a slippery slope to vigilante violence. Shields high. Well, Skip, I don't know what town that is, but I hope everything's okay, man. Thank you for uh, thank you for writing in, and uh, sorry about the difficulties that you are facing. Ronnie, Chick-fil-A caving to the LGBT. Uh, can you check this out? Yeah, Ronnie, we talked about it on the show. So I'm a step ahead. The buck delivers. Boom. 
Um, somebody also wrote here, Gina! Hi again, Buck. Slapshot stars Paul Newman and a few other 70s stars you may or may not recognize. Excellent hockey flick pre-Mighty Ducks. Enjoy. Shields high. Clearly, we got another vote for Mighty Ducks here. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's bad on me not realizing it was Paul Newman with Slapshot. No, no. I mean, I, no. I didn't see it, so I can't, I can't, uh, can't hit you on that one. Um, William writes, are you available to chat? Um... I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> Thanks for writing that message. I don't know. I don't know what that means. Um, that's another Buck's bad at technology. That's if somebody's on your page, they can click that probably accidentally. Oh, okay. As if you're a business. Oh, because I'm a business. That's true. I'm I'm a business of Buck. Help spread that business. Tell people about it. iTunes, every day, 3 o'clock Eastern. Download that show. Listen to it. Best podcast out there. All right. Team, Shields High.